1: you are listening to the china sports insider podcast my name is haig Ballion, and i am with mark dreyer the author of sporting superpower and insider's view on china's quest to be the best mark we are back after we took a week off for for the uh Qingming holiday you know a couple of weeks ago we talked to cameron wilson he was locked down in shanghai He's still locked down. And he's still locked down. Day 27. I, you know, and that's obviously the big news here in
2: China. And,
1: you know, I just, it's just, I feel so bad for people in Shanghai.
2: So far, you know, just to give a lot of people a little bit of context, Beijing seems to be holding firm. I think a lot of, a lot of the conversations I've had over the last week in particular is like, is it coming here? Are we going to see similar lockdowns? And, you know, we've moved on from like, everyone's going to die uh, although unfortunately the the over 80s are still largely well sure. at least half unvaccinated so so that's a significant issue but it's it's the reaction here to this sort of covid zero policy that they're pursuing like everyone's on lockdown you know for for indefinitely cameron was told prepare for 48 hours and 27 days later he has still has absolutely no idea about when he's going to get out i mean he's been tested I don't know how many times at this point. I mean, he's just, it's a city of 25 million. Yes, a few people have come out, but most of them are still under lockdown.
1: Yeah, obviously, we're, we're, you know, any any of our listeners in Shanghai, were definitely thinking of you, hoping that this ends for and, you and elsewhere. Very, very, soon. And I, elsewhere, of course. I saw
2: one yeah. prediction uh, where it was an estimate, because, of course, the, just getting information right now is very tough. But Japanese bank Nomura had said that um, they figure 23 cities right now across China have um, full or, or partial lockdowns. Right. Uh, and I forget the exact number, but it was it was hundreds of millions of, of people in total who were, who were potentially locked down to some extent.
1: Well, there's a lot to talk about this week, Mark. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to talk about Zhou Guanyu, another race uh, and another near miss. Women's ice hockey, they're killing it right now at the World Championships. An Eileen Gu sighting yeah. here in Beijing. Yeah. But after that, we have... An explosive interview with Rudy Ying. You know, we've talked about KRS and and Chinese ice hockey a lot over the last 26, 28
2: odd episodes that we've done about the show. Yeah. This is the first time we're actually talking to one of the players. And he's been involved for, you know, he's talked about 26, 28. He's been involved for 20 years yeah. inside the Chinese ice hockey system. No one knows it better than him. And wow, did he ever have some uh, interesting things to say?
1: Honestly, I think, he, I mean, he was incredibly honest. I think we're going to have some response to this uh, interview. <laughs> You're going to want to listen to it. So stick around and listen to it. But first, let's get to this week's top stories. Uh, so another race,
2: another near miss for Zhou Guan Yu. What happened? So, uh, yeah, uh, 11th place. So he's finished 10th, 11th, and 11th in his first three Grand Prix races. Uh, Top 10, of course, score points. So you have to say, that's been a very, very good start. Frustrating that he's narrowly missed out on the points on two of those three races. Uh, There's a funny thing, because we talked previously about his name. And, of course, he's Joe Guan Yu. Joe is the family name. But a lot of people in F1, a lot of commentators are kind of getting stick online, because they call him Guan Yu Joe. And he had actually requested through to, to through F1 officially, please call me Joe Guanyu. And I kind of, I noticed that Alfa Romeo had tweeted during the race. They, they talked about their two drivers, uh, and they called them, uh, the two drivers, of course, Joe Guanyu and Valtteri Bottas. They referred to them as Joe and Valtteri. And I was like, <laughs> like, yeah. if you're calling him, you're, you're his team. And if you're referring to one by the family name and the other by the first name, like, how is the rest of the grid? supposed to get on top of this. Like it's a minor thing. I realized this. But he'd it become a little bit of a talking point. He'd been asked, How do you want us to say your name? And then actually the team contacted me and said, By by the way, Mark, like it's not our fault. He actually asked us to call him Joe. So it's Joe Guanyu in that order, but Joe for short. And they mm. said because it's, it's easy for the engineers to say because it sounds like Joe J O E.
0: Right. So right, so,
2: right. so it's it's Joe Guan Yu, but Joe for short. And it's Balteri Baltas for short. So anyway <laughs> That's the latest on Jo you. but yeah, fingers crossed he's got uh, Italy's in Switzerland this week, okay, uh, uh, for for a week off, um, and then well, week between races, and then it's the uh, one of the Italian Grand Prix coming up uh, in about ten days' time. Let's talk about women's ice hockey. Mm. Uh, they're in Poland right now. So the, there's two lots the the Kea, the women's K Kunlun team the the Shenzhen Vanquers are still they're in the playoffs right now in Russia. And they have been on an incredible run. Right, right, right. Uh, But they had quite a lot of new players. The bulk of Team China from the Olympics have reformed in Poland for the World Championships. Now, it's done by different tiers. There are um, uh, five or six teams in, in China's division. And uh, they had, they've well, so far they're three for three with uh, one double-digit win. So very impressive. Uh, and uh, so there are hopefully... On uh, they're going to get promoted. Only the top team gets promoted. It's kind of like a Davis Cup system, if people know that from tennis. Um, if you if you do well, you know one cycle, then you go promoted into the, to the right. next league. Yeah, uh, because there's just too many teams to have them all in one big competition. Any standouts there? Who's who's playing well? Well, a lot of the players, uh, Rachel Rachel Lernis, who who we've had on the show before, is playing. Kim Newell is not. I think she possibly taking some time off because Tia Chan, one of the, one of the backup goalies from the Olympics, is. Is in nets for Team China. Uh, really interesting that Melanie Jew, who was played, she played more than a hundred games for for the for the Kunlun franchise uh, over the years, and she was pretty disappointed to miss out on Olympic selection. Uh, I talked to her actually, featured her in in my book. The book that you're
1: talking is that is that sporting superpower, <laughs> an insider's view on China's quest to be the best. Is that is that the
2: book you you you're referring to? It actually is. I can since you mention it. Uh, why don't I just tell uh, all our, our listeners that there's actually an Easter Week promotion running <laughs> right now on Amazon. <laughs> so if if people want to get a. a, a Knockdown copy of the book. Uh, Now would be the time to do it. Happy Easter, everyone. Happy Easter. Um, Anyway, Mel is not playing, but she's been roped in as an assistant coach. So really, really happy for her that she's still a central part of the Team China setup. She she spent four years of her life building up towards the Olympics and missed out on that opportunity. But great to see that she's still involved and great to see the team doing so well. Hopefully they can get two more wins and then uh, get that promotion.
1: One last story before we get to... Again, a very explosive interview with Rudy Ying, Eileen Gu, who's been in Beijing. We've seen her on social media. Uh, she's you know she's been around Beijing. She, there was a, an actual sighting of her at a place really near and dear to my heart, home plate.
2: Yeah. So any any uh, Beijing residents or former Beijing residents will probably know if if you're part of the foreign expat community home plate barbecue uh right in the middle of sanlington so i think she's been looks like she's been staying at the intercontinental yeah. in 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 beijing right. and she's she's sent a post a lot of photos of that doing a lot of modeling shoots and she was there with her mother and her uh, actually a colleague of mine was 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 there at the time and it was oh you know so sort of like happy to take a picture and and chat and so on so uh yeah she's she's clearly hanging out in in beijing indefinitely we don't know how long i think there's quite a lot of discussion like is she gonna go back to the u.s yeah. optically that would have been i think a bad move like if she comes in to represent team china and then she's on the next the first flight out uh but she doesn't start at stanford until the fall so she has time to to hang out and and uh and yeah, do, do her thing in 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 china and, yeah, and beijing you, is where she's been yeah do you reckon you'll she'll be here for the rest of the summer and then i yeah, I would have thought who knows, so. right? yeah, yeah who knows but but yeah she's definitely kind of seems happy uh, she's, she's been pictured a lot, you know, I'm talking about food and island goo, like it's a bit cliche, but she was pictured a lot with, you know, eating the, the, the dumplings and the red bean <laughs> uh, uh, snack after one of her performances. But uh, obviously embracing her other side, the American side, going to a barbecue place as well. So so, so <laughs> I guess, uh, you know, call it calculated or call it just, you know, yeah. doing, doing her thing. Right. Uh, she was, uh, yeah, still around town.
1: Oh, well, let's get to our interview with uh, with Rudy. Mark, you guys have a bit of a history. Um, you've been messaging for a while now. Like, can, you, can you talk about that a little bit? Like, how do you how do you know him?
2: So I wrote a piece. Uh, it was kind of when we first started the podcast, actually, Haig, uh, about um, the Chinese ice hockey situation and how messed up it was. And it got quite a lot of reaction. And actually, Rudy contacted me. He emailed me to say, hey, we'd love to chat. I read your piece. Uh, it was sent around. He said that he, you know, his mum had seen it in a uh, in one of the 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 hockey parent groups and so it was kind of like getting out there in the hockey community and he reached out we had a chat which um you know was off the record uh back then um but you know as as people will see we go over a lot of those things and he's now happy to kind of you know taking a bit of a break and happy to speak on the record about many of those things so super fascinating really really thoughtful guy um and it's just been great to to have that sort of channel of communication with someone who is is kind of open to sharing, you know, and I think there was a
1: lot of like you know we specul- we speculated a lot. There's a lot of speculation about what was going on, you know, on the Chinese side or in the Chinese camp uh, during this you know really stressful time. And it's really interesting to have an insider actually talk about that stuff. Yep. So you know, I'm excited for people to hear it. Uh, I think we should just stop talking and Let's get, get to, to, to the it. Interview. All right,
2: here's here's Rudy Ying. Really, great to have you in here. thanks so much for coming,
0: yeah, really happy to be here.
2: Just catch us up like uh we have the world championships, uh-huh. uh, which team China is playing later this month mm-hmm. in Europe, yet you are here. What's going on?
0: I have some injuries, okay. so I want to sit some time out and um and also kind of reassess my career as far as direction and stuff goes. But as far as this time, I'm sitting out because I have a few injuries, I have a knee problem right now, and uh Based on my previous, it's not my, it's not the first time this has popped up, so I'm kind of taking it slow this time. And uh, I figured they got a pretty good squad over there and they're not missing me, so they should be doing just fine. So you've been playing hockey for how many years now? Uh, 20, 20
2: years now. Wow. So uh, yeah, a little bit of time off probably doesn't
0: hurt. <laughs> yeah, I just, uh, since I turned pro, I haven't had much time off, um, not even in the summers because just the way the scheduling works, Yeah. Uh, most guys, they get maybe two or three months at the end of the season to kind of relax before they go into summer training. But it seems like every season after it ends, I have to go to uh, world championships. Yeah. So that's another month and a half of training camp. And then when you get back from that, there's the Chinese regional championships. Yeah. And then by the time that's over, it's mid-June. And then it's time to start training for next season. So unfortunately, the only big uh, time off I've had is my injuries. (laughs) So
2: And it feels like, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but it feels like here... Perhaps in North America, in Europe, there are, there are those longer off-seasons. Whereas here, it's a little bit kind of nonstop. stop You're always with the camp, or it mm. sort of feels like it has been for, for you for the last year at least. So there's, there's you know, you've got more training when you're in
0: session, and there's less off-season time as well. Yeah, I suppose it's a different system, I guess. Um, like in the U.S., they don't have a national team year-round. You know, they just assemble something before tournaments. But in China, traditionally there's always a year-round national team. And I think that's the direction they want to go in the next couple of years, which is going to be stressful to say the least for for whether management or players or coaches or whatever. But yeah, that's kind of resulted in me not having much time off. Like I've, I, I'd i like to go back to the U.S. for training in the summers, but like last season before the uh, the whole COVID thing, I was back there for 10 days, which is, you know, substantially less than I would like. But um, But that's just the way it is, you know. Now
2: let's go back about a year or so, which is I think when we first kind of connected and you seemed, um, I'm trying to search for the right word here, uh, stressed. (laughs) There's a lot of that going around. Stressed, I think. Uh, It just seemed that there was a lot of unknowns back then. We didn't know who was going to be playing for Team China at the Olympics. We didn't really know if the NHL players were going to be playing against China in the same group. That was another one you didn't know when you were next going to get to see your family and you had been <laughs> in yeah. camp for like yeah. months and months and months. What do you remember about that time? Before we talk about the Olympics, what do you, what do you remember about that time?
0: Well, like the, the general dialogue and the general feeling around that time was just uncertainty, which is not something you want, whether from the training perspective or, or like we, it was just missing a sense of direction. Um, we were just kind of there. We, there was no end date. Like I said, I didn't know when I was going to see my family again. There was no uh, real plan or real, uh, like looking back on it, everything leading up to the Olympics felt really rushed and really like a last minute, you know, emergency situation kind of thing, um, which is odd to say the least with all the planning that's gone into everything. Like I feel like uh, this is not directed to anybody, but I feel like things should have been taken care of better um for example uh in april of last year they told us they had a meeting with us and they told us you know we got to work hard because this is it this is the squad we're not going to get any players we're not going to get any american players or anything or any whatever so you got to work hard and then literally a month later they said we're going to russia so <laughs> it's just very conflicting stuff and when you're inside of that system in a high stress situation and not not so much stress from the training but stress from just just being camped up and you know with, with the whole COVID thing or whatever it's not something you want to hear from the management side.
2: now the Russia thing was because of COVID and so to to play the, but this is when you joined up with basically what was the existing KRS the Kulin Red Star squad yeah which did have a lot of international players
0: yeah like I mean if we want to go back further to like 2016 I feel like Things should have taken a better direction even back then. Yeah. I don't think realistically joining the KHL was the best thing to do for Chinese hockey development in general. Mm. Like I was telling uh, my girlfriend yesterday, I was probably the best player in China in 2016. I I would be comfortable saying that. And I know that I I may get hate for that, but I think that's true. And I was nowhere near being able to play in the KHL. So when you set up that team, it's not a realistic stepping stone. It's like trying to jump onto the second floor. It's not possible. I was saying even back then that we should should have had our own league because we had a lot of funding, a lot of money, obviously, because cause of the Olympics, and it just wasn't being poured into the right direction. I figured if you set up a league and then you were willing to pay higher salaries and players from North America would like to come to China to play, then you would slowly raise a level of Chinese hockey, and then the players inside of that system could gradually take a flight of stairs up to the second floor instead of trying to hide box jump on the second floor. But... But that's just the way it is. And, and um, yeah, even even this season, I mean, not a lot of the Chinese guys got to play, even including myself. So
2: when did you first get hooked up with uh, with KRS, with with Kunlun, like uh, 2016, basically from the beginning? Yeah, did, from did... the
0: beginning, I was I was playing juniors in uh, Canada and I heard about this team and it was during the summer. So I figured I'd fly out to try out. It was me and 13 other native Chinese guys. All of you
2: had been in in North America.
0: Yeah, no, like like. Uh, well, the
2: tryouts, the, the tri- that they held in in Canada, in Finland. Right? Oh, in Finland. Yeah, okay. it was preseason. So other tryouts they had, I think later on, maybe a summer later.
0: Yeah, that was the next season with Mike Keenan. Yeah, which is a whole other story. Okay, okay. I have Keenan stories for days. But uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, so I flew there and then we tried out and then um, yeah, I managed to make the team and then I figured. Well, the original plan was to play juniors and then play college and and then try to turn pro there. But I figured if I could just skip the pipeline, why not just go straight to pro? And that first season was a real double-edged sword for me because it was probably simultaneously the best thing for me and the worst thing. To play with those players and to learn from the Finnish guys and stuff, it was really good for my development. But it was also, looking back on it, I figured maybe it's not so good to skip some development you know it's a big jump and you get better but you're missing some of the crucial stuff in there that takes time to develop like I was playing three or four minutes a night in the KHL as an 18 year old and being absolutely terrified going on the ice I improved a lot that season but it also sort of revealed a lot of gaps in my play and that I had to make up for
2: well I mean you hear it a lot like at NHL level right you know Mm. the 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 top draft prospects is there's there's a lot of pressure to get them into the NHL. But then they're playing, if they go in earlier as an 18, 19-year-old, they're playing, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 minutes a night instead of playing 20-plus in the AHL where they can yeah. develop on the power play and the penalty kill and basically all facets. And then a year later or a year and a half later, they're just ready. But, yeah, it's, it's a good point that you make there.
0: Yeah, so, I mean, a lot of my faults were really revealed. Like, for, for example, one of my faults is I don't know how to score goals. I know that sounds weird, but I just like I never had a scoring touch growing up. I was always a better playmaker. Um I I, I like I had a good shot. All of my coaches told me I had a good shot, but I didn't necessarily have the right feel to know when to use it and when to shoot it. So I was always sort of pulled up into higher levels of play. Like for example, when I was a kid, I would always play a year up. And then from then on I would go to juniors and I would be playing when I was fifteen, playing with seventeen year olds and so on and so forth. And it was always good for my development because my, the speed at which I think the game and play the game was always quicker, but I never developed a scoring touch at every level. So even later on in my career, I didn't really have a scoring touch. Like I get lucky once in a while. Like I, I always joke about this, with my friends, but like I've never scored the same goal twice. Like I score in all different ways, which I guess is a good thing, but it's also just Representation of just pure luck, I guess. In in your
2: defense, for people who might not have seen you play much, yeah. um, I do remember one goal from maybe a couple of years ago. Mm. Absolutely unbelievable, like goal of the season contender. Uh, do you know what I'm talking about? Where you you take it from like deep in your own end, and you go through about four people, and then you just oh, like, the preseason. Like, was it preseason? I yeah, think so that was preseason. Yeah, yeah. I mean. Let me tell you. I'm a preseason you th- MVP. Well, well you, you can score goals. I'm just yeah, yeah, yeah. You can score some
0: goals. I'm an absolute menace in exhibition games. You know, just, yeah. But no. Yeah, I, like I can score goals. I just, I, I, some people just seem to have a knack for fighting the back of the net. I was right. never one of them. So, okay. um, yeah. And that's one of the things I'm reflecting on in this, my hiatus away from the game.
1: I'm just going to jump in here, Rudy, and I'm going to ask about this last year uh, with KRS mm-hmm. in, in Russia. Now, you guys struggled this year, but you essentially had an entire season on the road. Just just from the sense of, you know, not being at home, not being comfortable, what
0: what was the impact of that on, on the team, on you? Oh, it's you know, not like. Oh. It's not <laughs> it was a little bit of a, there was a sort of a rift between the native guys and the heritage guys over there because... For whatever reason, the management seemed to turn a blind eye to a lot of the heritage guys stuff, which I understand, but it's kind of you kind of want equal treatment, you know, so when we were over there, like we couldn't leave the hotel technically, we used to sneak out and stuff. I can say that now, but um, the heritage guys could just come and go as they please, and their families were there and whatever, and I wasn't able to go over there like like I, when we went over there, my I, I couldn't get family over there, I couldn't do anything like it was just a very different set of rules for either one. So that kind of, it gets stressful, you know, with the whole COVID thing being on the road, even when you're home is hard in and of itself. And then you have all these rules on top of that. So, for example, a lot of the guys, um, the heritage guys, you know, they're from Canada or the U.S., but they're living in Russia, which is, you know, that's okay for them, but they can go out to clubs, you know, they can go out to restaurants and go shopping, whatever. And it kind of makes up for it. But for us, we're just in the hotel all day and I got nothing to do. Obviously, it's hard. It's... Did you guys talk about that within within the team? Well, we we talked about it somewhat, but it's it's like it's a taboo subject, you know. It's just I feel like, I feel like that's the general consensus around Chinese players in the system is that you can complain all you want, but you know nothing's going to change, so what's the point?
2: Now, you've, you know, obviously fluent English speaking, You spent a lot mm. of time in North America in the States. Like, did you feel sort of like a bridge between those two groups or were you limited in that you were pigeonholed in the Chinese players?
0: I think even more pessimistic than that, I felt like I had an identity crisis where the Chinese players thought I was heritage and the heritage guys thought I was Chinese. So I was kind of left alone, you know, which I had, I had a couple friends who were kind of in the similar situation. So we kind of bonded over that, but that was always a weird thing for me, you know, from, from the surface, it looks like it's a good deal, but in reality, it's kind of the opposite,
2: And then as the season developed, it sort of seemed to me that there were kind of mandates from above as to as they were trying to settle on the makeup of, of who's going to play in the Olympics. And of course, yeah. everyone wants to, whether you're from, you know, the, you know, the heritage players, these for, for people who, who don't know the term, like the North American recruits of, of, yeah. of you know, most of whom had some sort of Chinese uh, ethnicity or heritage. And there was, there was kind of discussion about who's going to who's going to get the ice time. And it seemed that in the earlier in the season, a lot of the Chinese players, the local players, were getting very little ice time, but then kind of being brought into the team slightly more, And then was that then causing frictions with the heritage people thinking like, "Well, I'm going to get squeezed out because this other Chinese player is going to take my place." Yeah. Like, like it just seems like it started in, a, in as you said, with two groups. Did, did things get better? You just kind of learned to live with it? Like how did that develop as, as the Olympic? Horizon was kind of looming. See, I don't know
0: if I can just go all out loud and say everything, but <laughs> um, yeah, there was a lot of, there was a lot of hush and just a lot, a of, lot of talk around the team, and obviously a whole lot of um, you know non satisfaction flying around. But yeah, that was obviously part of it. Was when mandates come down, all everyone has to listen, you know, and it's it's not a conventional KHL club year. It was, it was as if halloween night and national team wore a khl costume you know so it was ultimately it was up to the khl like the khl club had no power ultimately it was it was the chinese side and it's a lot of behind the scenes stuff i'll I'll just put it that way and a lot of unfairness going around and but like i said there's just not much you can do about it you know you just got to accept it if you uh i'll just throw a few things out there but
2: like if you're looking at the timeline of say the last year like Hmm. what were the big moments that were for example, was it when NHL players sort of said, yes, we're in? Was it when NHL players, because of course, you know, Canada and China, uh, Canada and the U.S. were in China's group. Was it when they they pulled out? Uh, was it when you knew who was going to the Olympics? You know, what were, were kind of like the key moments?
0: Obviously, the first one was when they announced training. No, actually, I should say the first one was that when they announced the training camp was going to be indefinite. And so that, that's a story I want to tell, which is. We received mandates. Um, like this, early, is, this is when? This was 2020. Um, and we got these emails and like letters coming down to our teams and stuff saying that, hey, there's a camp. You got to go. It's July 15th. It's for two months. They had an end date written on the paper. I was like, wow, this is nice. So it said uh, July 15th to September, September 15th. 2020. Yeah, 2020. 2020. And you'd be compensated for every day or whatever. It was like, great. this is a great deal. We can go. And then I'll still have time to fly to Russia for next season. Because I was still in talks with Quinlan, Quinlan to be in the next season. It was like, great. This is, this is fantastic. We went. And then it was like two months of camp. I was like, all right, this is nice. We get to September 15th. And nobody's talking about leaving. We're like, what's, what's, uh, what's going on here guys? Like, and they're like, oh yeah, we've, uh, we've extended the date indefinitely. It's like a Shanghai lockdown. Yeah. So you're here now. Oh no. Forever. <laughs> I, I was like, I was like, what about I was Like, oh you, yeah. You just get your family and ship your stuff here and then you stay here. For... So yeah. So we never left again. It was like, we, we went home for maybe five or six days and then you had to come back and you never left all the way through to the Olympics. Yeah. So yeah. I think I was home for less than 30 days total. From, in 18 months. Yeah, in 18 months.
2: And, and you you know, you, you from, from what I understand, like, you're pretty close with your family, right? For some people, that would be like, hey, I'm on the <laughs> road. Great, great, great. But, like, you know, I think you've had a tougher time, right?
0: Yeah, like, it's just, like, hockey. Like, I feel like professional sports is a stressful thing in and of itself. And people don't take that into account. And especially, they have to point the finger at our team. We don't have a sports psychologist, which I think is weird. Because all major leagues seem to have one, and we don't. That certainly manifests itself in the performance of our team, I feel like. There's a lot of internal struggles. But, yeah, so you want to be in a comfortable place while you're playing hockey. And, obviously, lockdown in a school is not a great place, you know?
1: Did you guys protest at all? What, what, did, what, what did
0: you guys say? Like, what was the conversations uh, at that time? Like, it's just not – like, there's not much you can say. Like, you can you – can, they, they always said, yeah, you can leave whenever you want. You just won't be able to play in the Olympics. You think, well – I want to play in the Olympics. So, you know, like... You suck it up. Yeah, you suck it up. And what else can you do? Like, you had the freedom to leave. I I always made this joke. So when we first went there, and this is another thing I got to reveal all about. But when we first went there, there were three captains. It was me, one guy from Chichihara, and one guy from Harbin. And those two guys were kind of older players. Like, September, I want to say September 15th was the supposed release date. They left September 16th. So you all wore the C, right? Like yeah.
2: usually there's one captain and maybe two or three assistants, but you're all captains.
0: Yeah, we're all captains, which is fine. Like we just, you know, in, Ch- in the Chinese culture, captains kind of take care of everyday life or okay. whatever. And as soon as they found out it was indefinite, they left. One guy went to get married. One guy went home. They're like, you know what? Screw this. They don't want to stay here all the way to the Olympics. So I stayed. I was like, great. So I became the sole captain of the team, which I was happy to be. And then but that's what you had to do. Like they said, you can leave anytime you want. It's not like you're locked down. It's not like prison. You can leave. You just probably can't come back. And obviously, I wanted to at least finish my career on a high note. So I thought, got to suck it up. We were joking too. There was like 18 guys at camp, like 15 of whom had girlfriends coming into the camp. And by the end, none of them, they were all single. It was-
2: <laughs>
0: so you said...
2: Finish your career on a high note. Mm. Um, let me just pick up on that. Where is your career now? And, and, and you're sending out, you know, you said you talked about injuries earlier for the World Championships. Yeah. But are you
0: still planning to play hockey? Well, I'm going to decide after I recover from this injury, but I'm, I'm undecided because of a lot of factors. One is, obviously, I love the sport and I love playing it. But in the past few seasons, I've had a pretty pessimistic revelation. Um, or you could just say it's a realistic realization, which is that maybe I'm not 100% cut out for the sport. What I mean by that is the game is developed in such a way that talent is foremost in in all aspects. So when I first, when I grew up playing, I I lived in Chicago, and my favorite player was Patrick Kane, because he had unbelievable skill. Um, So I kind of modeled my game after that, because I wasn't the biggest guy growing up, and I wasn't the strongest or the fastest. I wasn't Like I said, I didn't have a scoring touch or anything, but I always had good skill and I always had good hands and I was smart enough to work on areas of my game and stuff, but that was the direction of the game when I was younger and I thought I had a chance. But as the game has developed, guys like Kale McCarr and McKinnon and McDavid have popped up where they're obviously very skilled in every area of the game and they don't have any gaps in their ability, but they're just so unbelievably talented physically that no one else is on their level like I'm sure everybody in the NHL works just as hard if not harder than Conor McDavid but he's just physically t- I met that guy in BioSteel camp and his acceleration is not something you 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 train it's something you have naturally and then you can build up on that um, so going back to what I was saying I I think I've come to the realization that maybe I'm not 100% cut out for it I've managed to make it this far and I'm very thankful to have been able to make it this far in my career just based on a combination of skill and persistence and obviously luck and some great mentors along the road. You know, it's it's kind of disheartening to, to to come to this realization because in the past few seasons, I always thought I wasn't good enough, but I could be better. And I always felt like I could be better. But these past two seasons, I started feeling like maybe this is this is my limit and this is my peak. And that's still not enough for me to, to comfortably play hockey. You know, like I talked to some coaches, including our current coach, And he said, like, you could play pretty good minutes and put up points in Europe and stuff. But I don't really want to play in Europe. You know, I don't want to be away from home anymore. And I. um, So, yeah, that's that's the kind of awkward spot that I'm at now for my career. So I have to do a lot of thinking about whether or not I find it worth it to keep playing, to to suffer through a lot of. Yeah, to suffer through a lot of the the hardships of hockey and to, to try to enjoy what I love about the sport. So I'm trying to weigh the pros and cons and see where it goes from here it's an incredibly like
2: honest and,
0: and yeah. I, in some ways raw answer
2: you know i would just maybe put the alternative view and to say look there's only one conor mcdavid there's only a few people at that really really top echelon and you know my hope for from a sort of a you know and, and how get without putting words into your mouth i think you'd probably be on the same side but like you know fr- from our outside perspective of chinese hockey like things are It's not always a straight line, but things have improved. Things are moving
0: in the right direction.
2: If China could... I don't think
0: things are moving in the right direction, if I'm being honest. Okay. Um, Upon our release from this whole camp, which was a glorious day for everyone, because that's, like you said, 18 months, I had a talk with the team leader, and he said that the plan from now is to aim for the Milan Olympics, and to try to... They're going to say they're going to keep the national team together and go to Europe for training and and stay there year-round again, which... I don't know anybody in the system who'd be up for that, who'd be saying, hey, you know, I'm in. <laughs> <All> right, <laughs> Not a well, single person was in. Well, that but-
2: that was where I was going to go with that. It was like your experience thus far and with 2022, if China can somehow qualify by rights for, for 2026, like, like they need you there. But if you just think that's a pipe dream and four years of, you know, it's tough because Olympic I'm, cycles.
0: I'm sure that they are going to improve and I'm sure that we're probably going to be able to be there, but. I don't think they need me as much as they say they need me, you know, and and I don't think I have that much to to offer, which, yeah, I know it's brutally honest, but I think if you want to grow as a player or as a person in that matter, you got to be brutally honest with yourself at least once in a while. And that's only one of the reasons I'm considering uh, perhaps switching fields. The other reason is that, like I said, I don't think we're moving in the right direction. And I always said, from a personal standpoint, I, I don't know where I would play next season. I don't want to spend another season in Russia playing the KHL. And perhaps something we really shouldn't talk about is politically, it's kind of over there right now.
1: Oh, what's, go- what's going on?
0: Uh, I'm, I'm joking. <laughs> I'm sorry. sorry. Um, what's going on? No, I shouldn't, uh, joke. I shouldn't
1: joke about that. But, but no, I, I hear you. And, and that's basic, realistically, that's what you have yeah. to face, right? I mean, KRS is not going to be playing in Beijing next no, season. No, and
0: China won't have its own league. And I, unless you're paying me seven figures, I don't want to play in North America um to be away from family and everything and no team in their right minds is going to pay me six figures let alone seven. So I don't think I'm a six-figure player. I think I'm high five figures player. So uh all those figures put to- all those uh, things put together I just it's difficult for me to not want to consider retirement if that's uh if i just being honest. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Thank, thanks for that answer, Rudy. I yeah, I re- really appreciate yeah. that. I'm wondering if I can just go back. What was like what was going through your mind when you learned that the NHL players were actually going to be playing in the uh, in the Olympics?
0: If I'm being brutally honest, when they said the NHL players were going to be playing, I really hope Luke Tardif pulled this out because is it Luke Tardif? No.
2: At the time it was Randy Fassel. So so the 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 double A- yeah. uh, HF uh, president. Because
0: if like if I'm being honest, it, it doesn't Look good on your country to to play if because if the NHL guys were there it's it's double digits for sure and high double digits so when you say high double digits twenty to thirty I think okay yeah even if it, like because back then the narrative was that there were not going to be heritage guys yeah there yeah, wasn't going to yeah. be heritage guys it's at least twenty or thirty which I'm yeah and I I always thought it wasn't a good look for China to to get pummeled at that stage and it would look better if we withdrew because it would be yeah as if we were capable of admitting our own faults and being honest with ourselves and I think that garners a certain respect from other countries not just from a sports perspective but from a political perspective but yeah like for for me it just it just didn't seem like a very good prospect of just being that embarrassed on that stage you know and obviously it was good to find out how it turned out which is the NHL guys didn't come and we had heritage guys and whatever and still it wasn't the prettiest of scores but I thought it looked better than a could have potentially been yeah yeah yeah
2: no i mean like like the the final game i think was uh well it ended up 7-2 but like a, mm. you know a real game against a a decent canada side with some nhl you know past and future stars in there like it was it was a pretty solid showing i think i want to ask about the olympics and a few things on that but like You'd already talked about kind of how you guys were in separate camps with kind of like the, the mm. you know, the, the local players and then the North American recruits. It later came out that, that some of the North Americans, well, or potentially all of them, didn't even have Chinese passports. At least some of them have said this. Like, like
0: They've said this, so I'm not the one uh, spilling the beans, right?
2: <laughs> so what do you know about that? And like, what were people's... It's like, it seems pretty bizarre. Uh, the way it was phrased by one player was they were given what he termed as a sports passport. But he didn't have to give up his previous citizenship. And he could still represent, he was eligible to represent China. Was there a sense that these guys were, again, I'm putting you on the spot here, but huh. was there a sense that these guys were, were, were all in? Like, were they just happy to play in the Olympics? Were they kind of pulling for China? Was there a spectrum
0: I think even among the heritage guys, my views were very split on um, their attitudes towards the thing. Which, like, there were some—I'm not going to name any players—but there were some players who spent a fair amount of time in China with Chinese blood and heritage and and didn't bother to learn one word of Chinese. And on the and the other side of that spectrum, there were players who didn't have a single ounce of Chinese blood who bought into the system more than far more than the other ones did. So. I had a lot of respect for that. And one of the players, I, I went up to him before the first game and during warmups. And I just told him, um, like, I don't know, because cause it was weird for him, because obviously his home country's on the other side. So I told him, um, like, I don't know if he felt the sort of pride that we Chinese players felt playing for China, but I told him that I'm pretty proud of him for what he did and, and all the stuff that he gave up. And yeah, I would say the general consensus is, is that nobody bought in, if I'm being honest. For a lot of the players, it felt as if they had no real reason to say no, so they just kind of went along with it. For other players, it was, if I'm being brutally honest, I think it was for money. Not so, far, not so much as we gave them money to play in the Olympics, but they wanted to build a good relationship with the club from which country that they were going to represent that would support them. Like, there were a lot of players that came into the system and fell out. I'm talking about Quinlan. Um who were making bizarre amounts of money that that were far more than what they were worth. And I have to say that I'm one of those people who made probably way more than I probably should have, but certainly not on the levels that some of these guys are making. And some of these guys were, were, like when we were going to clubs and getting drunk and stuff, they would say that to me face-to-face. They're like, oh, like I I couldn't make this money anywhere else. But, you know, we all knew that. And um, that was the sort of the, the harsh reality behind it is that, even in the locker room, you felt there was no real sense of pride. And like, I mean, if you were reconnecting with your roots, you got to at least learn the language a little bit. You got to at least immerse yourself in the culture a little bit. And I, I didn't see that at all in the five years that I was with this team.
1: Clubs sometimes have like these team bonding exercises and, you know, did you, how well, did that kind of thing happen? Like, it sounds like you guys just weren't
0: gelled at all. Like we, we had years where we tried to do team bonding and stuff, but it was always from the professional team perspective. You know, uh, I think directionally speaking, when Kunlun was set up, it was meant to be this pipeline to the KHL, uh, to, to the uh, Olympics, but every year they were treated as just another team in the KHL. So we did team bonding stuff as another team in the KHL with nothing to do with China. I mean, if these players really were going to buy in, which I don't really blame them for not buying in, it, it was like this, right? So the first year, there weren't a lot of heritage guys. The second year, they all came pouring in because they saw how much money you could make from this team. And in, if you wanted to make this money, you had to at least somehow convince the management that you bought into the system. Otherwise, it wouldn't keep you around. So, yeah, like there, there were guys that just, they couldn't be making this money anywhere else. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to single anyone out, but they, they, they are welcome to go on Twitter and yell at me, even though I don't have a Twitter account. But <laughs> they they all have nothing to say because they know it's the truth.
2: I mean, look, on the plus side, like who, who of the heritage people did you feel closest to? Like who did you bond with, that, you know, and have at least some kind of relationship
0: with? Uh, Jeremy Smith, the goalie. Yeah. And he learned the most Chinese out of all of them. And right. that's that's the thing I respect the most. Yeah, Smitty bought into him more than a lot of guys. And he was... Like, I think he was this close to actually becoming Chinese. Right. Yeah, but I think he has family over there and, and whatever. But over the past few seasons... Like, I met him when we were in the 18-19 season and stuff. And we didn't know each other that well. It was this year that we really bonded. And he's just not only a great player, but a great person. And he really, even though he doesn't have any Chinese heritage, he bought into it as much, like way more than the other players. And that earned a lot of respect from the Chinese guys. And he was one of the Chinese guys, he was one of the guys that the Chinese guys liked and sort of connected with.
2: Uh, Look, I I think your point goes to show that At some level, it's just still the human to human interaction. It doesn't matter where you're from, or or necessarily how good you are, you know, or or what your background is. It's like it's like who you are as a person, you know. If all the Chinese, if all the the, you know your Chinese local teammates kind of really respected Jeremy Smith, you know, just because of the kind of person he was, you know, that 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 says a lot, I think.
0: Yeah, and I, I I always try to surround myself whether on a team or in life with these kind of people. Smitty uh, Smitty, as we call him. He's just, he kind of, he doesn't really play with all the other guys either. He kind of keeps to himself and he has a group of friends that he likes. And he garnered a lot of respect from all the guys. And he was always very open to Chinese ideas and, and um, like food, for example. We were in China, we'd take him to Chinese restaurants and he just you know, he like we saw him ordering Chinese takeout instead of like getting uh, the stuff. And then while well, meanwhile, we had other players who just ordered Waggis and Element Fresh every day. And, you know, so uh, sounds like my daughter. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, coming from a guy who had no Chinese heritage, that's something that you, you respect a lot.
1: Just this last year has been sounds like it's just really, really mm-hmm. difficult. Can you point to any
0: positives in the last year? Any positives? Uh It's over. And I mean, look, you played
2: at the Olympics. Like, like what's Yeah, the be- obviously. I mean, I mean, talk about the Olympics. What's the highlight
0: there for you? I think just when we were at the opening ceremony and you're walking out and seeing everything, and I made a video um, that I put online. In that moment, I feel like you really do feel like all of that stuff is worth it. Worth it for that moment, but not worth it alone. So I, it's not something I would want to go through again, but to have gone through it for this is something that I think is worth it. And obviously the, the, the positive is that playing the Olympics is a one in a lifetime, you know, once in a lifetime experience and we might never get to do it again. So um, I think that's obviously the biggest positive and very cliche thing to say. Um, A lot of the friends you made along the way, you know, like Smitty, who I'm going to keep in touch with probably for the rest of my life and amongst other players. And um, in my career, I, the stuff that I've been most thankful for is the people I've met. It's not really for, you know, the goals I've scored or the, the, somewhat limited accolades that I do have. <laughs> but yeah, I think that's the stuff that you sort of I look back on it kind of nostalgically and the time that I spent with some of the friends at camp and it's sort of like the silver lining in the you know in the clouds and which which is not bad.
2: Okay. You are think of yourself as a consultant for Chinese hockey. Um if there's one thing that needs to change, both like what should change and and, and also like if that's just unrealistic, you're like, well this should change, but it'll never happen. Like realistically, what could happen? Like, how do we get things moving in the right direction?
0: Well, I've I've been saying this for years, but I think it's tied into a far bigger topic, which is you need a pipeline to, to, to develop players. It's, it's just not going to work because right now, brutally, honestly speaking, the people who play hockey in China are are people that don't want to do anything else or can't do anything else. So this is from the mouths of actual players that I've met. They said, like, I, I met one guy from Chichihara. He told me, that for him, it was either to go join the army or to play hockey. For another one, he said it was either for him to go work the fields or play hockey. So I'm not, they're, they're great people and I, like, I respect these guys, but that's not the sort of competition that you would want. And that's the problem is that there's no competition in China. It's, they're only these players, so they can do whatever they want, right? It's like, um, I don't know what's a good example. It's like, there, there's no sense of being cut from a team. It's the same team every year, and you're in the system, so there's no incentive to get better.
2: So, how do you develop that pipeline? I mean, it does so, seem that it, 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 to, there are some shoots of, you know, in Beijing, you see more kids, yeah. at, you know, younger levels. Like there are more people playing. I see a lot of parents posting about their children playing online. Like it, it seems to me the pipeline stops when you get to about twelve, thirteen, fourteen. Yeah,
0: exactly. But
2: but there are there's a there is a larger base now of younger players. I think.
0: So I think step one is college, which I think they're starting to do, but it's it's like a, it's not a very high level college. And that's why I think it's tied into a bigger topic because China has, at least from the admission standpoint of colleges, it's very much aimed towards academics. And I think some, some people can get in based on some sort of extracurriculars, but not as widespread as the US where sports is such a big thing. Because in China, you have designated sports universities, and that defeats the purpose of universities having their own teams. So I've always said that we should have a league going, kind of like the NCAA. That way, players would have the kids would have incentive when they're 14 to choose putting time and money into their extracurriculars instead of just studying, because that's the easier way to get into college. And then if you can if you can get into college that way, it will become competitive because colleges would look for the best players. And then you could potentially have these players graduate and then go play pro. And then again, that would be you would need a pro league in China. So that's what you would need. In the a college league and in a pro league in China,
2: there was one player. Um, I think you know who I'm who I'm going to be talking about, hmm. who I thought could actually change the system because he got into a good college in the US. Hmm. He was playing for Cornell, or at least was at Cornell. Yeah, Song Andong, Misha Song, right? So yeah.
0: first, nowhere to be found this time.
2: Yeah, what happened to him? So, so just for for context, he was he was drafted by the Islanders. I think the yeah. first Chinese-born player to be drafted, hmm. um, by the NHL. But then. He didn't even I don't think he ever played for Cornell. He was for, listed on their roster for four seasons. Hmm. I don't know if he had injuries or, or what, but he was like presented as the face of 2022 for the Olympics. Seven years ago.: no, that, That's wind... me. I'm the face of the well, well, <laughs> When when, when, they went, when China won the bid yeah. uh, at the IOC uh, vote in 2015 in Kuala Lumpur, there were two players, two
0: athletes that they took. Yeah. Yao Ming yeah. and Song Andong yeah that's because I was on uh I was on hiatus yeah I was on vacation what 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 uh, happened to him um you know I grew up with that guy and we were, we were really close when we were younger but it just kind of grew apart because I went to Chicago when we went to North America and he went to Toronto so I haven't really kept in touch with him these past few years kind of just split apart from what I know he like you said he was drafted he played in the USHL for a couple of years and he went to cornell and then I heard he was bogged down by injuries. I, I don't know how realistic that is because you got to at least play a few games to get injured. That's just my opinion. But um, <laughs> it's hard to get injured during practice. Um, but yeah, we, we kept hearing that he was going to be there this season. Uh, we had a, He had his jersey at the in the locker room, but he never showed up. And the, um, I have a mutual friend with him. And he kept saying, that, oh, he'll be here next week. He'll be here next week. Just never came. Wow. So, yeah. And the last time I saw him was in 2017. He played the Chinese Championships, and then he didn't play anything after that.
1: Yeah. What now? What are you? What are, What are your plans
0: now for the for the rest of this year and, and for the foreseeable future? Get treatment first, fix my uh, injury, and then I'm probably going to play in the Chinese Championships uh, for Team Beijing, and then we'll see about next season. Like I said, I'm undecided. I'm not. I'm not for sure retiring or uh, even considering retirement, but. I think it's time to be realistic with myself. And I figured that capping off my career at the Olympics is not a bad thing. And um, if I weren't to play hockey, I'm probably going to move into the film business. I want to be a director. Now, that reminds me of
2: someone else uh, that you might know. Can you tell us about your father?
0: Oh, yeah. So, yeah, my dad's a a sitcom director in China. He was the one who brought sitcoms into China. And so that's his that's his thing. But I want to be, I want to do movies and I want to do, yeah, I want to be a movie director. So obviously I can learn a lot from my dad and he's, he's going to help me out a lot, but it's somewhat different directions. And I think I was obviously influenced by that growing up and just kind of being around movie sets and and I've always had a love for movies and I shouldn't say that. I've always had a love for storytelling. And I think the best way to do that is through movies because I, I can't write a book. I tried <laughs> writing a book when I was a kid. Didn't turn out very well.
2: Hey, so this yeah, is good time yeah there's still time but
0: yeah so i i I think i gotta do a lot of homework i gotta go study cinematography and and acting and i have a short film that i would like to 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 do in the foreseeable future but yeah that's that's my plan
2: well we wish you the very best of luck and thank you so much for for talking with us
0: yeah no problem
1: well that's the show this week i hope you enjoyed it uh mark where
2: can people find you uh, Twitter is always a good bet. Uh, dry China or uh, look at Amazon for Sporting <laughs> Super Fat Easter Week special.
1: <laughs> I do encourage that as well. And on Twitter, I am at Hyg Ballion. We will be back next week. Talk to you then.